Those are things that God says you do them. It's up to you how to expel them, kill them, destroy them. Don't let them ever uh, leave room for them to rebirth. Uh, that's what happened to natural Israel way back then. Um, eventually they began to marry into them, them ites that was left. And after a while, they got so polluted with, um, with the ite situation that God had to just allow the whole temple to be destroyed. That's a, that's a devastating um, a thought when you think about God said, I'll, re- I'll destroy my whole religious system in order to salvage these people and get them back in. And I'll give this up. Everything that I let Solomon build, and everything that was the, 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 the icon of everything that could happen in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the framework of religion throughout the world, I'm going to let it produce in Jerusalem through the temple worship. And then he had to take all of that. He said, no, I'm going to go ahead and just destroy it in order that I might be able to bring forth uh, the preparation. I'll probably never recover them, but I will give them a time frame to steady out until I can offer a better way through a new creation people. And then even the new creation people that is going to come in by grace and mercy, they will have to make that decision as Israel did in the beginning. He says, now I'll bring you to the kingdom. Now you go in and possess your rightful inheritance. Destroy all the ites. That's what we're doing in our, in our approach today is to bring that identity to yourself. Maybe, you, maybe they'll stay hidden for a while. Maybe you'll, they'll stay hidden for a while. That's the way the enemy works. He don't always uh, uh, promote himself and exalt himself unless he has absolute control. If he's already controlling and it doesn't matter to him, he just uses you uh, to express what he is, whether it's um, gossip, whether it's slander, with any form. He, he'll, just, he'll, just, he'll just work with you. But if there's times when he knows that, that, um, that too much exposure of, of that within you is dangerous to him, he will hide. He will, he will repre- uh, suppress his activity. He'll just let go dormant for a while. And you'll get to thinking, well, you know, I don't have that problem anymore. It's just suddenly disappeared. But if it has not been dealt with properly and you have not invoked your spiritual rights to evict anything that is contrary to the, to the nature of Christ and nature of God, then probably in the future somewhere you'll have that opportunity. It may come at a time... I remember I had, a, I had extreme anger. My wife can tell you that. I had a temper. Man, I could just boom, just like that. Um, and, and even after I was ministering, I had these things. I had to really deal with them. When you talk about having to grow before God and humble myself and, 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 and tell that deliverance came. And, and I was set free. But I could, at any moment, just... Fly off the handle. And I know probably a lot of people have that problem. Some, some people say you just grow out of it. I don't know. If you can just grow out of something that, that has a root. Um, I probably somewhere, even after suppression for a long period of time, you will have to deal with that. Now, I, that anger and that, that kind of um, um, uh, uh, root that was in me. I remember one time we was, I had my children. We was all driving down the streets in Oklahoma City going somewhere. And um, one of these um, 
uh, a Volkswagen came alongside and he almost caused me to, to, to go out of control. He turned in front of me. And I honked my horn at him. My, thinking maybe he was asleep or something. Instead, he gave me the proverbial, you know, <laughs> and, and just like that, man, I blew off my handle. Just like that. I went and I pulled him over, jumped out of the car, and he tried to lock his door, and I grabbed him by the, he had a long hair. He was a hippie. I reached in and, and jerked him out of his window by his hair. And here's my wife sitting there praying and my kids looking at me, you know. Drug him out and, boy, I mean, uh, boy, he was begging me. And finally, I, I come to my senses and I let him go. And then, I, and it was silent in my car, just silent. We were driving I kept thinking about it. Oh, God, what did I do? I didn't know I had that in me. I didn't know that I was still dormant. Me showing my best suppress some things in my life that I, I suppressed that anger and that temper for so long that I thought I didn't have a problem. But all at once that afternoon, it came out full blossom. And I had a problem. You don't know what I went through trying to adjust myself back to my children, to my wife, seeing what I had done. I tell you, I mean, I went through it. But eventually, I got with prophetic people. They helped me along. Amen. I was able now to handle that. And ever since that time, um, worse of things have happened to me since that time. And I'm just able to look at it and say, well, praise God, you know. And a lot of people say, how can he take that, you know, especially the people who knew me before. Uh, and uh, how does he take that? You just wipe it off and just walk away praising the Lord, you know. And I, I look at it and I say, my God, I, I remember when that was a root in me. I didn't know it was there. It's just something I didn't deal with in the beginning. I thought it was some anger and some temper was kind of valuable, you know. And just like when I was um, uh, in, in the old times when I, had, I hadn't reconciled my ancestry... Uh, from the from the um, massacres that happened in in my history, and um, but I I wouldn't allow that to be told. I would deal with it, but I would not let it go completely. I always kept apart to justify my reasons for not trusting white people. I used it as a justification. And that was wrapping me up until ni- 1997. You know my story. How, how I was delivered from that and suddenly set free. I don't have that problem anymore. I love you guys. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and, and, and I really do. Amen. I, I, I go all out. Amen. To, to help and try to do something and bring out the best quality in all of us. But I remember when I had those things and when I had to deal with them things. So it's not. It's not something that is isolated just to me. Probably in your life, if you're, if you're diligent in researching your life, you can probably pinpoint some things that line up with the definition of Ike's that we had started with. Remember, he said, these seven things does God hate. God hates those. He'll, he'll deal with them until he gets you set free from them. Either now, today, after, this afternoon, as we go forward. 
Now I want to hit into the second phase. I quoted the scripture before we close down for the break about how an un- when an unclean spirit goeth out of a man. Okay, I use kind of that as my model of definition of how Jesus looks at things. And he knows that these are spiritual roots. They're spirit. And they're lodged into humanity. We've given them plenty of room in our unsaved condition, our unregenerated condition to root out and have their playground in our lives. But now that we come to the Lord, there's a lot of things that are connections with them, but, but by grace and mercy, we, we ask for forgiveness, though, and God just kind of wipes them out. But there are seven roots here, seven things that God says, no, these things I hate so bad, I want you to deal with them personally. I want you to, to, um, to uh, look at them when they're defined to you, look at them seriously, and if you've, any definition falls into that, then you deal with it. You say, well, what am I going to do? I, the, the only thing I know to do is repent. That, that's, not a, that's not a hard thing to do when we really think about it. I mean, we, I, I seem like I used to always in repentance. <laughs> Tell I turn around, I'd repent about my ideas and my ways and things that I do. Um, I was learning how. You know, I, I, you get over things for a while, but and repentance always paves the way. The Bible said, if we sin, we have an advocate. Now, he wasn't talking to the unsaved world. The unsaved world are sinners. And they're outside the, 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 the plan of God. And there isn't until they come into the plan of God, then God begins his salvage work. Begins to salvage and to restore and to bring us back into usefulness. But until that time, um, if we don't deal with them in the beginning, usually down the road. God will allow us to find and confront these things to where we can effectively evict them from our lives to where after a while there's no more need for repentance on them things, only praise and thanksgiving. You can remember things. You can say, I used to, I was trapped that one time, but thank God I'm free now. I don't have a problem with that. And man, I can exercise kingdom authority now rather than to be in bondage and thought life to those things that had me chained down. So now as we go into this part, you know, I always use old, uh, uh, a phrase that we've seen a lot of time in Archie Bunker. Remember him? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I always use his favorite chair, you know. <laughs> Something in his life that his, and he doesn't want nobody to mess with it. That's his. I, if, if Meathead gets on her, he's in trouble. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and, 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 and that's his, you know, no matter what. Well, a lot of us have that Archie Bunker. We got something that's comfortable in our lives. Something that we say, well, I'm willing to shift and move a lot of things around, but not this one. This, bless God, has been my little security blanket all my life, and I'm not secure unless I had it wrapped around me. It could be anything. But in Archie's life, it was a chair. Now, let's take a scenario. If you decide that one day, my goodness, look at my furniture, look at my everything. It's so bad, and it's, it's so old that when people come to visit me, I'm using furniture throws, I'm hiding it, amen. It's, I think it's time for me to get something new. So you go out and you begin to shop around within your budget, within what you can afford, 
Or maybe you, you're just going to be extravagant. You say, I'll go ahead and pay it another year's debt, but I'm going to have the best. You, whatever, whatever position you take in that. But you pick out your furniture, and you bring them, and, and, and the furniture man loads them in as a complimentary part of the, of the package deal. We'll haul, and you buy, we'll haul. They bring them to you, but all at once sentiment comes in as you begin to look around. And all at once you say, I don't know, these old things are heirlooms. These were given to me by my, my friend or my mother or father. And all at once sentiment begins to come in. And the guy's waiting outside and he says, hey, um, we got your furniture. Okay, just pile it on the porch till I make some decisions. Are you sure? Yes, yes. I, there's a battle going on in there. All at once the furniture is there. But you cannot release what is in there. It's, somehow it's attached. It reminds you of something in the past that may have been has sentimental value, but we're moving into a new framework of activity. You're saying, well, what am I going to do? And I'll tell you what, you can never look out your window and see that beautiful uh a recliner chair with all the adjustments, maybe a little button you vibrate you to sleep. I don't know. Amen. You can look at it and then sit down in your archie bunker chair and say, I don't know about this. I mean, it's a wrestling match sometimes. Sometimes you've got to make decisions. You've got to say, am I willing to give up the old for the new? And my attachments to the old soul rooted in that I cannot get rid of it and find something that I can, that I can be more comfortable and fit the age that I'm living in. Especially my neighborhood's changing. They're upgrading. I'm, I'm the only one lagging behind. These are decisions that only you can make these things. Now I want to move us into something that what we trade in in the spirit that has now been downgraded as something detrimental to what God wants out of our life, but willing to give you the state of the art. He's willing to give you ever, everything possible to fit into your house. He said, when an unclean spirit goeth out of a man, a resident, he walketh in dry places, seeking rest, finding enough, he returns to the house when she has come and finding it, swept, clean, garnished, but empty. Then he says, I will return back to that house. Obviously, there's some some sentimental value that these people have about me. But I'm going to assure myself that I'll never get evicted again, and I'm going to take in seven others worse than me, and the state is going to be seven, eight times at least worse than it was. Now, that's the scenario. That's Jesus' definition because he's, he's not just talking. He's talking about our house, and that's what we're talking about, our house that's been filled with a lot of things. Now, what, what is the next scenario? The next scenario, scenario would be that if since we got rid of all the Archie Bunker stuff and all his evaluation of humanity <laughs> and... Um, we suddenly find ourselves in a brand new, and then we need to understand that we, that 
God has provided us with newness of everything to replace the old. He just doesn't leave you empty and walk away. All he wants you to do is move them in. So simple. Now let's begin this next study. The seven characteristics of Jesus. All right? As we cast out uh, through repentance the seven ites, we seek for the seven identified characters or nature of Jesus Christ. He, I believe that we can pinpoint this, that in Christ he has a seven-point character to match the seven characters that degrades us into the old, in, in, in the old man. That as we cast these things out, then he moves in. New furniture, everything. Okay? Now let's look at Revelations 3 and 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. Now he's talking, he's talking about Jesus. Every scholar talks about these, the seven church ages and what they represent, he that walketh among the, cand- the seven candlesticks. They all represent Jesus Christ. They're all in agreement with that. But what we're talking about is his full character. What he represents in mankind as the seven characteristics of what God is in Christ Jesus. Now you say, how can we, how can we iron this out to where it becomes applicable through Scripture? Well, let's go on. Revelations 4 and 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightning and thundering and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, these are all definitive that Jesus has a sevenfold characteristic nature that we can have because he gives us everything he is. We are made in his image. We are created in his likeness. And everything that we have, you see, when we, when we talk about the many characteristics that God has, He breaks them down into many things. But the main thing that He does is to compile it all in, in and through Jesus Christ. What His character is, we can have that same character, and, and it's something we move in each time we move something out. If we move out the archibunker chair in our, in our security, and the thing that... That means so much to us. But finally, because of our, of our upgrading of the quality of life in Christ Jesus, as we advance in the kingdom of God, ministries come. They give revelation, higher orders, higher structures, higher infrastructure, more exposure to the totality of the word of God. Then all at once we begin to, we begin to search God. I'm going to reach that. The rest of the church. Amening and they're breaking through, but somehow I'm not able to shift into that gear. And it's probably because there's some connection of an ite in your life. Something that that should have been dealt with, and you say, Well, how can I how can I get it? This is what this is all about. The revelation of the ite, the inhabitants, which to Israel that that their mother was a Hittite and their father was an Amorite. One of the, one of the clues to that is that when you were, 
that when you were born, he said, your navel was not cut. Many of us are still attached to systems that could never birth us completely into the kingdom of God. We're still attached. Our navel cords are still thinking about what mama was, daddy was, grandfather was, and all the the different connections of religion that you can uh, proudly go back and say, boy, we, we we belong to all them systems for years. And wondering why we cannot go forward. And wondering why we cannot break loose even their teachings and their doctrines. It's hard for people to understand kingdom talk when we're talking about God filling this earth with the glory of God. It's hard to, to talk to people because their they're umbilical is still connected to old doctrines and to old measurements of old, the old religions that, that, that had a ceiling over us that we could not break through. How many can understand what I'm talking about? A lot of times, this umbilical cord is still attached. The day that you were born, you said your navel cord was not cut. Neither was you, was you salted at all with salt. The Bible says you are the salt of the earth. What is salt? We went through that before. Salt is made up of two components. Sodium and chloride. Sodium is a worthless product by itself. Has no value. Chemists have tried to take sodium in its natural form. They can find no use for it. But it becomes priceless when an invisible ingredient called chloride is released in the earth being lighter than Gravity, it begins to work its way to the surface, finds sodium, permeates it, and a chemical reaction takes place, and what is worthless now becomes the salt. Priceless in everything. Well, back in the old days when we read about the salt in the Bible, it was used as a it was used as an antiseptic. When a Hebrew child was born. The first thing they did, they didn't have the alcohol swabs and the peroxides and the things we use today to, to sanitize a child until his, his immune system kicks in and he's able to take care of himself against the germ warfare that he's been introduced to. Back then they used the common thing, salt. They salted them down. You would think today that's a harsh thing. Well, the baby probably didn't. Maybe he was a little irritated, but I mean, he lived through it. <laughs> but it was long enough to salt him down, get rid of any bacteria that's in the air, especially in the time of captivity that we're talking about. Time when things weren't so sanitary, things that were so no uh, accessible to, to cleansing things, the things that, that, that could be pronounced clean. They had to use all kinds of methods. One of them was salt. He said, in the day that you were born, you were not even salted, nor swaddled, wrapped, 
No tender loving care was given to it. And our umbilical cord was not cut. That was the indictment against the people that was in captivity in the time of the Babylonian captivity. He said, you're, he said, you're, you're in a mess. You're connected through your naval court to old systems that will not allow you to bring in the thoughts that God Amen is working in Christ, uh, redeeming the world to himself. Uh, and not, I mean the world, the total world, not only the atmosphere, but the land world, as well as the human world. All these aspects are being redeemed back unto himself. But we cannot go forward until we cut the cord. Until we are salted with salt. The value of that, we said, that we are the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its savor, it is worth nothing but to be cast down and trodden under the feet of men. Salt has a lot of purpose. I believe it's in Job 6.6. 6, he said, is there, any, is, is there any flavor or is there any taste in the white of an egg? God said that. He was, he was asking a question. He said, what is the most tasteless thing in the world? And God said, it's a white of an egg. Read that, Job 6, 6. And then he added, he said, but you add salt, and it'd be good. <laughs> Flavor to the world lies in the salt. There was a king back in Judges. One of the judges was always slaughtered by the enemy. Couldn't raise their crops every time they did raise. They, they got attacked, taken away. They was in poverty. They didn't know what to do. And finally the, the, the judge and the king got, got, got brave and they rose up and they went into the enemy's city, completely leveled that city. And then when it was over with, they went and salted it with salt as a complete insult that nothing could ever grow in that city again because they neutralized the soil. Still lies in waste in ancient history. The old inhabitants walk by and they look and see that city completely down. Nothing can grow there where it had lavish gardens and, and streams and reproductive um, life sources within that city. Now nothing can grow because the righteous grove up, rose up and said, I'm going to use salt. And salt is going to, amen, it's going to destroy the enemy's resources to where they can never bother me again. When the, when the enemy walked by their city, they probably mourned. And they said, oh, that was the greatest city. We lavished in riches and we could contain ourselves for months at a time just growing our own varieties of fruit. But look at it now. It can't grow even a weed. But when an Israelite went by, <laughs> man, they begin to shout and dance, begin to worship and praise God and say, look at there. The salt of the earth has come proved itself again that we can neutralize the enemy. So salt is very important to us. But we cannot become salt until... 
some ingredients are dealt with. The characters of Christ Jesus. Now let's look at Isaiah 11. Read this, and I've got it numbered. There are seven characters here that are in Christ Jesus that he wants to transfer into us when we begin to evict the seven ites, or maybe just one ite left in your life. I don't know. But the minute you've got that go, then you get full of the incarnate Jesus Christ into your, into your lifestyle. Look at there. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Who is this he's talking about? Jesus. Every scholar, every Bible student looks to this scripture and they identify Jesus Christ. Prophetically. Now, number one. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if it dwells in us, shall also quicken our mortal bodies. We, that same Spirit, that when we come to him, the first thing that happens is that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us. That's seal number one of the seven characters of Jesus Christ. He seals us with the Holy Spirit of promise through the, Lord, through, through the Spirit of God. Every one of us have that. I don't know what it was, maybe a Hittite spirit. You gave up a ruling, dominating spirit. One that loathes authority, one that despises godly things, Hittite. But maybe when you came to the Lord, you were able to evict that yourself and say, no longer am I going to loathe authority. No longer am I going to despise those that are in charge over it. From now on, I submit my life to the infrastructure of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened? You evict one and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you. Seals you. For your journey of total redemption of your, of your person. And it goes on to say, number two, the spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom. God bringing to you now the infrastructure, the tools that's going to cause you to advance in your lifestyle. First thing you need to do is get the wisdom of Solomon. Wisdom to understand. We go through the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, Song of Solomon, all of these, and they, they ex- extol, amen, the, the virtues of wisdom. What it is to evaluate in God's wisdom the necessary ingredients for you to portray the godliness of Jesus Christ in your home, your family, your community, you're going to need wisdom. Divine wisdom of God. That's another character. Okay? Then it goes on to say, and the, and understanding. Understanding. Of divine things. 
spiritual things. Things that we cannot use natural discernment to evaluate the accepted form of lifestyle among the unsaved world. Their evaluation of understanding through natural understanding and discernment. But God gives us divine understanding. Unctions of the Holy Spirit. Unctions that suddenly you stand with the wisdom of God acting in any situation and understanding comes. Not, amen, not, not, not the, the polluted understanding, not the imaginary things that, that you toy with your mind in the other, in the other, in other uh, time frame, but in understanding of divine things, knowing how to operate, when to operate, when to open your mouth, when to shut your mouth. These understanding comes, and these are the virtues of Christ. You look at him on the road to the, to the cross. He said, he openeth not his mouth. He saith not a word. He had already encountered his destiny, not on the cross. That but his destiny was fulfilled in Gethsemane. Gethsemane where he wrestled until drops of blood, amen, came out of him like sweat. Sweat like drops of blood came out of him. And all at once, even when he cried for intercessory help, there was nobody there. They were all asleep. So he bored it alone. He broke through alone. It was something that we have to do alone. None of our intercessors will bring us through these kind of adventures of faith, amen, to, to, to possess our souls. You're going to have to bear up to it. And you're going to have to admit, confess to the Lord Jesus Christ and repent. And you watch things begin to change in your life. Wisdom, understanding will come. My goodness, I mean, Jesus came, he understood now. He had the wisdom of God. Amen, he understood. Amen, the last portrayal. He said, nevertheless, let thy will be done and not mine. Amen, he came out of there already victorious over hell, death, and the grave. He already came out there facing the opposition of his tormentors. Amen. He knew, amen, before it was, it was, he knew what he was going to go through. He was a scholar, especially in Isaiah. He studied Isaiah. He went to the synagogues. He ministered out of those scriptures in Isaiah. He knew Isaiah 53. He knew that he was the one that was going to bear the sins who was going to be, who was going to be beaten and smitten and stricken, rejected of men. He was going to have to bear the cross. He was going to have to bear. He knew all of that. And in Gethsemane, all of these things came against him. Amen saying, no, you don't want to really do that. Think of your body. Think of the pain. But when he came out of there, he was victorious. He did, did not Deny himself, the Bible said in that night they came the soldiers, a great number of them with, with, with swords and staves and lanterns, and they demanded, where is Jesus? He didn't say, well, I don't know. He may be around here somewhere. He just stepped out and he said, here I am. And with such of the understanding and wisdom authority that those just fell on the ground. Because he had already overcome in Gethsemane. The cross was not for his overcoming. It was for ours. He died, not for himself, 
but for us. He went through it himself first. And this is how changes come. With understanding. Let's go. Number four, the spirit of counsel. Nobody could stand against his counsel. The scribes, the Pharisees, the high priests, all used their theology. But he came forth with theocracy. He came forth, amen, with such counsel that they could not reverse or change, amen, the opinions of the people against him. They had to concoct, concoct false statements, false charges. Even Pilate said, I can find no fault in this man. I'm an attorney. I'm a, I'm a judge. I work in the Supreme Court of Rome and, and set over Israel for the, for the judicial amen, requirements of the laws of the land. I know the law. And believe me, I've left no stone unturned in evaluating this man Jesus. And I can find no wrong with him. Then he did the great cardinal sin of the second sin that led to the crucifixion of Christ is that he compromised. The Bible says that Pilate willing, willing to please the people, washed his hands, said, okay, I'll do it your way. And become the infamous traitor of all of our judicial system throughout the world that involves righteousness. To think that at one time, if he made it a right judgment, there wouldn't be a judicial hall anywhere that did not bear his name and say, here is the wisdom of Pontius Pilate. But now he becomes a degraded person, infamous in his avow. Why? Because he compromised his values, his office, and therefore led to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That's the second sin that crucified Jesus. Remember I preached on four sins that crucified Christ. I know he died for the whole world. That everybody was, I had one person say, well, it wasn't the four sins that crucified him. He crucified for all the sins. I said, no, Jesus just didn't walk through the streets and say, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to be beaten. I'm ready to be scourged. I'm ready to be, to be spat upon. I'm ready to have my beard plucked out. I'm ready to be laying upon the cross and the nails driven to my hands. I'm, I'm ready. I volunteer. Somebody please come and do these things to me. Instead, God knew that there were four sins out there that He hated the most that was going to motivate people to exercise those sins that would lead Jesus to the cross. And those four sins, there's four of them. One of them is envy. He said, Pilate said, he knew because of envy that the chief priests 
were accusing Jesus Christ. Why were they envious? They were envious simply because Jesus was exercising the rights that they had under the law. Did you know that they could, the worst sickness and disease in the Bible in those days was leprosy? And those high priests following the strict rule and regulated ritual that God gave, they could actually take away leprosy. When they were in the right standing with God, they could intercede for the people. But they had got out of sync. And when Jesus came doing those things, envy rose up in them. And they began to conspire to kill him. So that's the third sin that crucified. The other one found in Matthew 26. He said, And Judas Iscariot came to the high priest and asked, How much would you give me if I lead you to this man, Jesus Christ? And they bargained with him. And they gave him the silver, 30 pieces of that eventually led to his own death. But I take that as the love of money. Nothing wrong with money. You can make money, earn money, spend money, invest money, give money, be a good philanthropy. You can do all of those things. And God will honor it. But when you begin to love money to where it becomes greed, and avarice moves in, and all at once you're willing to manipulate, you're willing to cheat, you're willing to, to do acts of, of embezzlement and fraud, and you begin to downgrade your fellow man over money, then you are in the same danger as Judas Iscariot was. That was one of the sins that led Jesus to the cross. Four sins. Of course, the, the other one we spoke about already found in the 23rd chapter of Luke where he said that the whole, the whole group of the high priests came and began to falsely accuse malicious gossip. Now let's go on. He said, and understanding and the spirit of counsel and might and might. The kind of might that comes with the authority of a ruling king is almost indescribable. This is the might that Jesus came. He had the wisdom, the understanding, the counsel, the spirit of the Lord, but now he has the authority exercise all the might of a righteous king. And guess what? That's still pending within our frame here on earth. We we run out and shout out mountains at demonic strongholds, but usually from a safe distance. <laughs> oh, it's good to get in front of the old altar here and, and call down the fire on that mountain 80 miles from here. Because we haven't got the authority of the might that God has given to the kingdom authority. And the spirit... 
of knowledge. The spirit of knowledge. Knowledge. We know that as something special. It goes beyond the knowledge that we know. The gifts of knowledge. These are a good example of knowledge. To see into the unseen. To go beyond the veil in our insight. And begin to draw out of that the real spiritual activity of the kingdom of God. And bring it back into the visible world. And announce it and pronounce it. This is the knowledge of the kingdom of God that is to permeate the whole earth in the age to come. Where nothing shall be hid. But all knowledge will be given unto the household of faith to operate the kingdom of God. And the spirit, and finally, and the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. I, I Sometimes I look at a lot of examples, and I'm not going to name anything, but I look at a lot of my examples that, that I thought were spotless, and, and they, were, they were the leaders. I felt like, man, these guys have got it together. They're going forward. But all at once, they lost something. The fear of the Lord. They began to play with money. They came with the, they began to play with the giftings. I remember back in the 60s and the 70s. Some of you might remember those days. I, I, I came up through an era where everything was almost um, produced uh, on, on false pretense. Charlatans came along using the great word of God for their own advantage. Trickery. I remember when the signs and wonders miracles came in in the early 60s, out of the 50s into the 60s. We actually saw them miracles. We saw eyeballs formed in eyes that had no eyes. I mean, we saw limbs that had no, there was no limbs that God gave miracle to. We saw things back there that we try to share today. A lot of people say, oh, I, don't, I, can't, I, don't, I can't believe all that. But it happened during that era. And the evangelists who were work, working that, I mean, we, we, we filled up tents, great tents, three, four times as big as this building, and uh, filled them up. And, and the people that would come to the altars, would, and, and the money that would come in, I'll tell you, after a while, I remember when they, they began to lose the fear of the Lord. And all at once you begin to see trickery, false signs, false miracles. They begin to devise ways to operate through trickery. A lot of them got caught back there. Some of them, that get, from the public view, they just, got, they just got cast out. I don't know where they are today. Maybe they're pushing up daisies. I don't know. But I know one thing. You can't play around with that. Fear of the Lord. You've got to keep that. They named it last on the list. But I, I say it's connected with, with, this, with the spirit of the Lord upon us. These two operate to balance all these other things in between. The fear of the Lord, something you can operate, each and one of these characteristics of Jesus Christ. You can have the knowledge, the wisdom, the understanding, the might. You can have all of these things operating unto you. But if you don't have the fear of the Lord or it's diminished, I tell you what, you're in trouble because Satan will use that. He'll say, well, you got by with it this time. A little sleight of hand, a little trifty, a little, a little trickery, a little 
craftiness. You fool the people, look at them. And then slowly the fear of the Lord begins to diminish. And all at once you're going to find yourself something that, that could have become the most beautiful sunset in your life to bring forth the new day. It suddenly grows into the shadows of darkness. It's a terrible thing. I've seen preachers lose the fear of the Lord. I've seen them. I've, I walked back in that section where they used trickery. They used all kinds. Instead of the gift of knowledge, being able to discern and bring things out, that what I call beyond the veil, hidden things, bring them out in the open. They, they, they used to do that. There was a time I knew ministers that without ever seeing you, knew your name, you just walked towards them, your name was this, and you're this, give your background, because they were going beyond the veil through knowledge, and they were bringing it out. This is the characteristics of Christ. He wants to restore that back to us. But not until we've been understand that, that the first Ike program has to be dealt with. When we eliminate those things, then we, are, we can invite them things into our lives and become the citizenship, amen, of, of, of planet Earth in order to restore the kingdom of God. So, how many feel with me here? <laughs> I, get to, I get to rambling on and I... Sometimes I look out there and people, I lose them. But I want you to know that this is serious. I, I remember several preachers way back in the 70s were caught. They was using all kinds of means, the trickery, to bring that same knowledge that was on a level of, of righteousness and holiness, true knowledge being exercised. Now they began to use trickery. They began to find ways of finding out we had one man exposed that he had a guy out in the, in the foyer, just like we have out here. And every once in a while, he would, uh, someone would come and talk to him about, about seeking prayer for the guy, the main evangelist, who would never do it, mingle with the people. He was always behind the stage waiting his appearance. And the guy out front is just selling things for him, one of his men. And they would ask him, is there any way that I can get a prayer for... I need prayer for my son. He's in prison. The guy would say, oh, I, said, I, I, don't, I, I might try to send him a note, but I, I doubt if I can get word to him. And um, he, said, he just don't do, listen to that. But all the time, he's pumping her. He's saying, well, do you have a picture of him? Yeah. And at the same time, he's reading her photo ID. He got all that in his memory. And he sends it up in the code. I, 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 when it was exposed to all of us, I think Joanne remembers that, it, it was shocking to us because he was one of our favorites. <laughs> and and, and they would, he would write things in code. He would, he would say, uh, 4 John three sixteen, And it would have under there, Alan P. That's all. So, Finally, eventually, a little kid would be sent a, with his little note. He would just, innocent, nobody even noticed, and he would just run up and put this note on the platform and go back down in the audience. Then the minister gets on there, and all at once he welcomes the people, great he had, and he looks at the note, and he knows that four means in the fourth row, fourth seat, and he knows that, John 3.16 has a significant number. 
and he knows that the maiden name is Alan, and that's all he needs to know. And he'll look over there, and he says, somewhere over here in this fourth row right here, would you stand to your feet? And stand, yes. He said, well, the Lord's given to me that you have a son in prison that we need to pray for. And he, I think his name is Alan. About that time, the lady goes bananas. And so does everybody else. I'm talking, <laughs> I hope I'm talking to mature people here. <laughs> You're not the gossipers, are you? <laughs> I'm telling you that we're on a track that can bring the real, true knowledge back into operation within our hearts and our midst that the next move of God, the next gathering of God's people together, we can have the values of the characteristics of Christ operating without any fear of ice interfering with our destiny. But we have to deal with it and the way that God wants us to. To close time because I want to give us an opportunity to look into our own lives. And if there's been any IT activity, I don't know, some of you may be new this afternoon that wasn't here this morning. You might have to get the, the, the CD on it and listen to it through. We have the notes that we handed out, you can pretty well follow them. But I added a lot of things to it, as I always do. And um, I think that, that we need to understand that, that God, in his full sevenfold characteristics of Jesus Christ, was written by Isaiah many years ago. We find him. The root that shall grow from, the, from Jesse, Another place he defined it as a, as a root out of a dry ground, that dry ground that has no comeliness. There is no beauty in him that we should desire him. Yet, yet, he went through all that suffering. That defined Jesus Christ. And in our seven characteristic identity of Jesus Christ, all in Isaiah 11, we begin to find out that if Jesus had those then we have them. The only thing that that blocks them is the fact that we might have an ite blocking the way. So this the whole today was to tell God's Canaan land, which is you, His promised land. Kill the ites. Maybe you didn't do it the first round, but this is the round that you can eradicate repentance and then dealing with it it arises deny it deny it operate the gift of knowledge operate the gift of understanding operate the gift of wisdom in the place of those defaulted earthly characteristics that Adam gave to us this is your promise that you can be completely set back on course and our future together as the body of Christ, whatever community you come from, is safe and secure for the kingdom of God. Let us stand right now. Let's just praise the Lord.